Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Drivers, start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you. And rubbing son is racing. Hey race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Network, welcome to Drafting the Circuits. My name is Frank Santoroski, I'll be your host for the next hour, or perhaps more, as we dig into everything racing. Uh, before we get into that, let me introduce you to the panel. With me tonight, Mr. Gray Warren. Gray, how are you? Good evening, sir. How you doing? All right, Gray is from Richard Childress Motorsports. Um, Seth Eggert also in the house. Seth, the NASCAR correspondent for Motorsports Tribune. Seth, how are you? I'm doing good. All right, Richard Uden, also from uh, Richard Childress Motorsports. Richard, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. Hope everybody else is doing well. All right, then 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 I've got the Giggle Brothers, who. Uh, who are working on no sleep after spending a weekend at Watkins Glen. Joey Barnes and Christopher DeHarty. Joey, uh, who writes for IndyCar.com and is the managing editor at Motorsports Tribune. Joey, how are you? I'm good until you said giggle, brothers. Well, hey, man, you know what? And Christopher DeHarty, who we just woke up to get him on the show. Chris, brew a cup of coffee. Join us. How are you? Doing pretty well. Uh Got four hours of sleep last night, so that's why I had to sleep again after being at work at 7 a.m. That's uh, that's the life, though. All right. Well, you guys spent your weekend at Watkins Glen. Um, Seth, Seth, where did you spend your weekend? Were you, were you over at, at a Cars event? Or? Uh, no, the next Cars event is South Boston. I want to say in about two or three weeks, it's their season finale. All right, great. South Boston's a beautiful speedway down in uh, in Virginia. Yeah, so uh, I'll be looking forward to hearing from that. But uh, now, Gray, you spent your weekend at Darlington for the Southern 500, and where we yes, saw I did. yes, we saw Martin Truex uh, run a great race for a while. It looked like it was the uh, Martin and Kyle show, you know, with Kyle Larson and Martin Truex. Um, th- those guys were, but at at the end of the day, Martin was a cut tire. Denny Hamlin took the win. Um, for the moment, more on that later. But uh, Gray, you were down there at the racetrack. You've down there for I, I believe is it your forty eighth consecutive, forty eighth consecutive, forty eighth consecutive Southern five hundred. Yes, absolutely. You've been going there since I was two. 
<laughs> um, and you've been going there since before the rest of the guys on the panel were born. So, but uh, Greg, give us your impressions from uh, Darlington because I, I I just think they do a great job uh, with what they've been doing here lately. So uh, I'm just going to throw it to you and let you talk about the Southern 500 for a bit. Well, for me, Darlington is a lot like Indy is for a lot of you guys. It 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 never disappoints. It's uh it's something I look forward to every year. Um, Going there is, is prop to me. It's the best racetrack uh, in NASCAR. Always puts on a good show. It's 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 old. It's full of tradition. The the racetrack was designed and built in 1950 for cars that ran those speeds back in the day. It's gone through one uh, one revamp uh, after the '68 race. It was uh, some revamping was done, but it's still holds its character and has been that way. It's very narrow. It's very treacherous. Uh, it's very abrasive. Uh, and it's it's a driver's track. And uh, you usually will see one of the better races of the year. And, and again, uh, to me, uh, Sunday night w- was probably one of the better races. Um, uh, you're right. Uh, Kevin Harvick started on the pole. He's been the master of Darlington for the last several years. Uh should have probably won uh, two in a row and coming in this one won three in a row. But there again, you've got to race the track and uh, you got to have a little bit of luck, a uh, little bit of luck at the end too. But uh, good good race for a lot of guys. Um, and, and it's typical Darlington in that, you know, guys will, will go out and get out to a little bit of a lead and then they'll, their tires will wear. They'll have some degradation on the tires and they'll come back to the field a little bit. And you'll see guys uh, overtake them. Uh, I believe there was uh, 20 lead changes among eight drivers during the course of the race. Uh, the last 102 laps uh, were run caution-free, which in itself, a lot of times at Darlington, is, is quite unusual. But uh, that pr- probably led to some of the some of the drama late in the race. Um, Denny Hamlin uh, uh, pitted later than than the other cars, and in fact. Uh, had trouble when he did make that pit stop. When he came back on the track, he was some 20 seconds behind the leader, Martin Truex. And through that, through the last stint, uh, he began to run down uh, uh, Truex, uh, had Kyle, Kyle Busch in tow, and those two cars cut through the field like a hot knife through butter. Uh, it was fun to watch. Uh, Darlington's always fun to watch the cars. It's so narrow. Traffic is always an issue and always a problem. And to watch those cars cut through traffic and uh, and uh, track them, track the leader down. He caught, um, you know, at one time with about 20, sec- 20 laps to go or so, I heard uh, heard over the scanner, I heard uh, Truex's crew chief tell him if he maintained his current pace, he would win by two seconds. Well, obviously, as the tires wear down, he couldn't maintain that pace. And with about five to go, Denny pulled in within within a second of him and really closed the lap as the two, two approached some traffic. Uh, Truex's car was getting hard, was getting to be a handful, and he was, he was uh, slipping and sliding through the corners. And then with about two to go, he slipped up and hit the fence. Uh, I don't know which happened first, whether the tire blew or the tire blew after he got into the fence, but his tires were pretty much worn out, and uh, it, it was a foregone conclusion that Denny was going was to catch him. And uh, Denny made the pass with two laps to go, and uh, Truex limped around on his on his flat tire, and it was was able to, to finish eighth. 
and Kyle Busch finished two seconds behind um, behind Denny. But a great night, just just a really good good race with a lot of drama, a lot of a lot of comings and goings throughout the race. We had guys like Kyle Kyle Larson. He had his share of time at the front. Uh, Harvick did. Harvick's car faded somewhat during the race, and he never could get the uh, the handle back on it. Uh, had some good runs to two RCR cars. Uh, Austin Dillon got a good solid uh, top five finish. Uh, uh, I believe uh, Ryan Newman got a seventh or eighth out of it. And uh, so going into the last race, uh, you know, we've got uh, got one more shot for some of the guys to win. It was a disappointing run for uh, for uh, uh, Clint Boyer. He went into that race uh, looking really needing to needing a win. And uh, was looking forward to it, and he was the first car out uh, having engine failure with about 18 laps to go. Uh, some other notables: uh, Dale Jr. had a had a lackluster evening, um, and uh, you know didn't really didn't really have a have a good night. Uh, just kind of floundered in mid pack most of the night. But it was it was a good show again. Like you, like you said, the, the throwback cars add a lot of interest to it. Terrific crowd on hand. Uh, the front stretch was completely full, and the back stretch was about three quarters to seven eighths full. So the folks at Darlington have got to be really, really tickled about that. But I did see one interesting tidbit today when I was reading, going through some of the notes on the race. The race garnered probably a 1.6 on the TV rating scale, which it was shown on on on. Uh, NBCSN, and that's opposed to the last two years when it garnered uh, almost a three, a three six one year and a two eight or something the following year. And it just goes, you know, I can't understand why NASCAR and NBC uh, NBC wouldn't agree to put that race since it's one of the so-called majors wouldn't put that race on on network NBC. Uh, I think that that just tends to uh, to lower. TV ratings, you know, that's, that's our, that they're already struggling for anyway. What do you guys think about that? Oh, I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, you know, some of the races that are not on the networks, I don't understand why they're not. And some of them that are on the networks, I don't understand why they are. Uh, I, I, you know, I guess it's all in the intricacies of the tele- television package and, you know, who's paying for what and this and that. Uh, especially when you consider, uh, you know, Darlington and what it means to the sport, how long it's been around, that should be a network one. Absolutely, I agree. Um, Seth, what do you think? Uh, I think it should be a network one. I do definitely agree with that. But at the same time, not every sport has their major on a network, uh, or all of their majors, anyway, on a network. So I can see the argument both ways. Uh, I just do want to make one note. Uh, Ford and particularly Roush Fenway, they had a poor performance at Darlington, like Ray said. Uh, Trevor Bain cut tire like six laps in. Uh, Stenhouse about 28 laps in. And Joey had an engine issue all day whenever he would flip the switch to uh, turn the engine off to uh, save fuel. When he wanted to turn it back on, he had to recycle the ECU. Hmm. And, yeah, and, yeah. And Keselowski was he he led a few laps in the race and ran near the front and pretty pretty much ran in the uh, in the top seven or eight cars all night long, but just did not have the speed to uh, to challenge the front runners 
uh, uh, during the uh, the course of the evening. But I guess the big news coming out of Darlington uh, was that uh, it was announced today about 4 o'clock that uh, Denny Hamlin's win in the number 11 Joe Gibbs Toyota was encumbered uh, after the cars went back to Charlotte and went through the in, the inspection process on Tuesday morning. It was discovered, I believe they call that a L1 level penalty, and the uh, it was discovered that there were some discrepancies with the uh, with the way the the trailing arm mounts to the rear end housing, and of course that was that that, that you know brought about the uh, encumbered win. And Seth can tell us a little bit more about the ramifications of it or what he what he loses. I believe it's oh. yeah. Go ahead, Seth. Well, he loses his crew chief Mike Wheeler for two weeks, uh, Richmond and Chicagoland. He loses twenty five driver points, twenty five owner points. He loses the benefit of the five playoff points he earned with the win, which sets him back slightly. Uh, Although we'll get to it in a little bit. Martin Truex Jr., he is going to have the benefit of 52 playoff points compared to Hamlin's what would have been, I think, uh, 14 is now nine. Just to put that into perspective. And by far and away, Truex has got the most playoff points than anyone. Who I, I haven't seen that chart, but who ranks second behind Truex? Uh, Kyle Larson uh, Kyle with Larson, thirty-two. Believe, yeah. You're thirty-two or thirty. It's something yeah, like that. Yeah, he's. But uh, you know, based on the fact that uh, you know uh, the seventy-eight car has, has by far and away been the dominant car all year in number of wins and number of stage wins. Uh, you know, I tell you, you gotta. You got to give it to Truex because that that those guys show up every week and and run hard as they can and go to the front. I mean, they're not laying back. You know, you really if you were looking at you know we can debate this, but under under the old uh, formats, they would be far and away the leader in points. Uh, you know, at, at this juncture in the season, but uh, that's a that's that's a different story. But yeah, um, and and now Mark Truex is the first ever regular season champion. For NASCAR, Correct. whatever that means, you know that, uh, that that that's kind of a new honor. Truex was uh, kind of happy to have it, but I want to get back to the encumbered win, and and I know my my good friend Richard has some deep deep thoughts on this. <laughs> so, uh, Richard, I, I I want you you know you've uh, you've spent your career working in racing. You you've worked over in Europe, and you've uh, worked over here in the states, and you worked in nascar for a while so you've seen things from both ends of the spectrum and now what are your thoughts on these encumbered wins and 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 how does this work and how is uh how does this affect the fans that pay for the race i mean my my opinion is it makes a mockery of the whole thing uh it really does you have a, a race that is three three and a half four even sometimes longer in some cases and the guy that crosses the line first and gets all the glory, at the end of the day, he doesn't deserve it. Now, that's not to say cheating and, what's the word, shenanigans don't go on within NASCAR. Of course they do. They're going with any motorsport. And I'm sure Gray's got some stories uh, you know, from, from back in the day. But now the sport is so technical and so advanced. And the, to the average fan to look at some of the light scanning and the GPS systems that they use to measure these cars, they are 
state of the art. You know, they wouldn't be wouldn't be out of place at NASA or somebody like that. And you you have these tools, and you have a rule book, and then you basically turn around and said, okay, the eleven car cheated. So what do we do? How do we how do we punish somebody who cheats? And they haven't really punished them. I mean, they may have done from a financial point of view and from a in the grand scheme of things, there may be a punishment there. But the fans don't see that. They don't see the 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 sort of you know. You could argue that um, from the the amount of TV coverage that Hamlin got during the weekend, they will have earned far more money through sponsorship than they lost through the penalty. Um. Going back to when I first got involved in motorsport back in 2005, uh, when I was working for BAR Honda, some of you may remember there was an issue with the fuel cell, um, and they were actually um, banned for two races, um, one of them being Monaco, I think the other one was uh, Spain, if I remember. I mean, you know, to miss Monaco is like missing the Daytona 500 or the, or the Indy 500 or something like that for for uh, one of the teams over here. I mean, it's a huge, huge penalty. You know, and these, you, you see post-race and pre-race, NASCAR have clamped down on this a lot. There was a lot of weaving going on pre-race, and that was designed to shift um, components within the car, and especially the rear suspension to help generate uh, skew or, you know, lateral turn within the car. Um, and then also post-race, we've all seen it, we all know the stories, when uh, Jimmy Johnson won a race and was told, uh, you know, what? remember your post-race procedure or something along those lines uh, on the radio. And they've also stopped a lot of cars, you know, um, driving up against pit wall, pit, uh, the wall on pit road and, and burning the back of the car down because that destroys parts of the suspension and can hide things that... Um, you know, when necessarily or you know, not yeah. in the in the spirit of the rules. And sometimes you see guys coming down pit road and they'll at the end of the race they'll fly down there far faster than they need to and slam on the brakes as hard as they can. Again, designed to sort of shift components within the car to reset their location. Um, and it's a very, very difficult thing. And I think the one of the problems that NASCAR has, and I think and I understand why they do it they have very, very little data acquisition within these cars. Basically, all they have are engine parameters, so um, throttle position, uh, air temp, barometric pressure, uh, they have braking pressure as well, just things for engine operation. They don't have any real performance uh, logging capability. Now, they could easily resolve this by putting sensors on the car that will detect excessive skew and excessive lateral movement within the housing of the car and yeah, at, at, at speed yeah and but then that's at a cost and then nascar will turn and say well we don't want to have teams to have access to this data because it's that's not what nascar is all about but there is a solution that there there is the solution they can download all the data from the ecu and look at it instantly and say well look you know you had too much lateral movement in your rear housing, you know, set a limit. And if you go over it consistently and there's not a valid reason for it, you you bang to rights. And they, they've got to mature a little bit and realize that 
and I would say this is an electronics engineer and a data you know acquisition engineer. These data loggers are not scary things. You know, every team has them because they'll go testing, and when they go testing, the car's full of sensors, and yeah, so it already exists. And it's not the most expensive stuff in the world. Yeah. Sure. Your ECU, yeah. the, you know, the, the engine management system, that can already do it. So uh, I think they've got to uh, to look at that quite closely because otherwise it's going to get out of hand. Richard, uh, I, there's not a bigger purist in the room than I am about NASCAR and the way and, and a traditionalist. But I agree with you. It, it's time NASCAR has got to do something. This encumbered win is, is, is not a good thing. Uh We've never had disqualifications in in, in the in the, in the Cup Series, but I think it's time now that NASCAR is going to have to do something to uh, to eliminate all this. Um, you know, cheating is the very culture is the culture of NASCAR and has been since day one. It's that just it's just it's accepted. It's accepted in the shops, and it's what the guys do. It's what what the guys sit around and think about all day long all year long trying to come up with tricks and things, you know, and, and it's been, I've been a part of it all my career. I've been with teams that have been fined. I've been with team. I was at Daytona one year when we were taken off the track and had to, could not get back on the track until we had our uh, people back at our headquarters in high point uh, wire NASCAR $50,000 in fa- uh, fine money before we can get back on the track. So I've been a part of a lot of these, a lot of these things. And, and I'll tell you, we, we looked at it as a, as, as a badge of honor uh, and, and a point of pride, you know, that when, when we, when we did these things and I've seen some, some things go along and, and we looked at it as ingenuity and things like that. And some of the things that, that we were involved in over the years are the reason the rule book is about four times thicker than it, than it was back when I started. But you're right, Richard. It, it's got to stop, and, and uh, it, it does give NASCAR a bad look for the fans and particularly uh, for a newer breed of fans that, that we're trying to yeah. attract into the sport. And, and it's, got, it's got to be cleaned up. I think one, one last comment from me, me on this is, I think an area that NASCAR can look at, and again, they have to understand that the sport and engineering in general is evolving and the world around us is evolving. One of the reasons why these shenanigans go on, for want of a better word, is that the rule book is so tightly written. And I understand you know, that their attitude of, well, if we allow teams, you know, we don't want teams spending Formula One-esque numbers on, you know, R&D and developing areas of the car that we leave open. But if you leave engineers and teams areas that they can work on, then these things are less likely to happen because they can actually find, they can not necessarily find loopholes, but push areas that are more open and allows teams to to engineer solutions. I mean, to a greater extent, these companies now are not race teams, they're engineering teams. And oh, yeah, manufacturing. Manufacturing yeah. yeah, they are manufacturers. And there are car manufacturers, I know, of at least two in the UK that do not make as many chassis a year as Richard Childress Racing. And, <laughs> and these guys are manufacturers. But 
they need to allow Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word GRADE to 323232 right now. Hooked on Phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun. And everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day. For more than 30 years, Hooked on Phonics has been the proven learn-to-read program that kids love to use. Text GRADE to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text GRADE to 323232 right now and get started for just $1. Text GRADE to 323232 now. Text GRADE to 323232 engineers to do what they want to do and give them a legal area to say look you can push this area you can push that area and you know and and open it up and, and allow them a little bit of maneuverability which will you know has the potential to engage the fans and get fans on board and understand. because they don't you know a fan who looks at this penalty report they don't have a clue what it's about um, they they don't know what, uh, what what teams are trying to do, but if you can open it up to an area that is a little bit more open and maybe a little more visual, um, I, I think there's potential there to remove some of this uh, silliness. Yeah, I mean, it, go ahead, go ahead. You, you think it, it's a little funny that it's Joe Gibbs Racing that that gets nailed with the encumberment because it is Joe Gibbs and the Toyota Group that found how to swivel the back end of the car with the sway bar last year, and and NASCAR for a long time couldn't figure out what was going on with the locking placement there. But um, I, I honestly, and this is the perfect example to use is Denny Hamlin because he has a win earlier in the year that qualifies him for the playoffs and this one obviously the the points don't count it's encumbered whereas Joey Logano his only win is encumbered so he's not in the playoffs yet um I personally considering the way the playoffs still work if, if I remember right because they keep changing this thing if you win one of the first three races in the playoffs it qualifies you for the next one and then the next one and the next one um yeah I'm personally okay with saying, okay, well, you want to do an encumbered finish. Well, the crew chief and the driver is disqualified for the first race of the next round. So disqualified for Chicagoland and would have to win or win to qualify for the next round on one of the next two races that follows. If you want to really make a statement on a severe penalty, and hey, you get a chance to see you know, who you got in the, in the works on the young driver and young crew chief program at the same time. It's not ideal. It's not the perfect scenario, but you know what? That's a hell of a way to stick it to these drivers and teams that go beyond this, and it's a great way for NASCAR to actually put their foot down and for something to actually mean something. I mean, this 
this means nothing. Denny Hamlin's already yeah. in the in the playoffs, so. Well, bigger than that bigger, trophy still looks good on his uh, on his mantelpiece. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Bigger, bigger than that. Bigger than that, and of course, and, and to a degree, Denny Hamlin is going to go start the start the playoff with one ta- one one hand tied behind his back, in that he loses his crew chief for the first round of the playoffs. So yeah. that, to, that that's some somewhat of a of a hindrance to his team. Somewhat, I'll I don't say. think it is these days. The communication. No, that, well, the depth they got in their team yeah. is so great. You, you anyway. look at when um, uh, the seventy seven car recently lost their crew chief. I mean. Uh, you know, they almost went, I can't remember which race it was now, but they almost went and won the thing. I mean, yeah. there, the actual guy who was an interim crew chief there, James Smalls, he used to be a, <clears throat> excuse me, a race engineer at Richard Childress Racing. I mean, these guys are so in tune and the communication links are so good yeah. these days between the shop and the track that suspending a crew chief is, uh, you know, but the, the only thing you pic- can do is, uh, you know, take, well, you can't do anything. You know, you really can't stop it. Yeah, the bigger picture is, and I, I, I agree, I think, now disqualification is because you actually erase it from the record book. You uh, you erase a major win, and I tell you, Southern 500 is a big win in any driver's resume. It's it it, and if you were to erase that, take that away, and give that win to the second place guy, even though the, he didn't take the checkered flag. You know, today, he still goes home. He gets the money. He gets the check. He goes in the record book as the winner of the 68th Southern 500 because, he, he, you know, his car was legal. I think that will get the attention of these of these teams more than anything because that's what that's what means that you're not taking the win away and you're not erasing anything in the record book. It'd be the same thing. I mean, the biggest race in the world, the Indy 500, the most prestigious race in the world. Suppose they, in, in, in post-race tech, ah, they find, you know, they find the winner and they take that win away. Happened I mean, in, that ha- would, happened in 1981. Yeah. And, well, and then it, they gave it back to him five months later in a courtroom. Yeah, that was a mess. It's just, just between, a mess, between, yeah. But yeah, between the... Between Bobby Unser and 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 and, and, and that Mario, whole deal, yeah. yeah, that yeah, that was that was that was a mess, and that was a black eye for them. That I'm sure that you know, hindsight being 2020, they never want to do that again. NASCAR needs to go ahead and, and you know, in the off season, put rules in place and say, okay, we're tired of messing with you boys. Here's what's going to happen: your car's not legal. At the end of the day, we're going to take the race from you. And they start taking Daytona 500s and World 600s and Brickyard 400s and Southern 500s away from these guys. They'll get the attention. But see, the precedent was already set at Homestead a couple of years ago when you had the the four drivers in the championship battling for the top four spots, and they were clearing everybody by a mile. Like We understand that Homestead, the last race of the season, the championship race, there's a little bit more leadway for those top four cars because they're not going to take a championship away. Well, and well, the, the, you saw that last year with Jimmy Johnson, didn't you? Um, you know, my understanding of the, the situation was the car passed Tech. They then, on the, I think he qualified sixth or something for that race. Anyway, as the cars were lined up in pit road, one of the NASCAR inspectors, that car doesn't look quite right, goes back through Tech and it fails. Now. Hendrick's standpoint is, well, we've passed, so we've got to be able to start where we are. NASCAR's point of view is, well, no, you've done something to the car, you've modified something, it's now illegal. And Hendrick knew that they can't throw Jimmy Johnson out of the race. 
you know, imagine what would have happened if they turned around and said, "Well, the car's illegal. Jimmy Johnson's not allowed to race." Yeah. Yep. You know, yeah, they would have been right. the stands would have emptied. So right. they let him start last, but they kept the car in an illegal configuration, right. and he went and won the race. And and, and I know it what was, you're talking about, Joey. Several years ago, when the when the four cars that were the four finalists in the chase, they were far and away, head and shoulders above everybody, and ran away. And and and, and but that was the again, second year. That was the second year of the chase. But there again, they knew the precedent was NASCAR's not going to throw us out. We're racing for the championship. We are essentially the show. That's why I'm saying NASCAR has got to come in, and, and they've got to they've got to get their own house in order and say, okay. This is what we're going to do, and then you will eliminate. You'll you'll, you'll start to eliminate that very issue we, we we're talking about. The cars the cars will have to be legal, and you know here you go. You were illegal in pre race tech. You damn well better be legal when we take you back to Concord on Tuesday morning and tear you down. Yeah, because just just all we want for out of them is consistency. I mean right. that's it. I mean right. and we and we don't get it. Well, and that's what I say. You know, NASCAR has dug their, has, has, you know, has dug their own grave on, on, on that on that side of the issue. But if NASCAR wants to to do away with this and and and, and kind of get some credibility, they're going to have to come up with with something that's uh, uh, a punishment for doing these that gets their attention, and that's got to be disqualification. Uh, in, in any form of motorsports, I mean, it, it. You know, you go to Saturday night dirt track race, and if you're and if you don't pass tech, you're disqualified. And this and the second place guy, if he doesn't if he doesn't pass uh, pass muster either, then the third place guy ends up with the trophy and the money for the win. And, and you know, then it's it's done at every short track across the country. And I, I believe it's time now that NASCAR steps up and makes it uh, makes it the, the norm on the Cup circuit. You know, and it, I, I I don't recall an issue. Uh, you know, Richard can allude to it in uh, in Formula One, but you know, I don't recall anything in IndyCar. Uh, Joey and, and 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 Chris, you can you can talk about that. But has have we have we ever faced had a situation like that in in IndyCar? Four day in Milwaukee, if I remember right, a couple of years ago. Uh, I I mean, I, I forgot how they handled it to be honest with you just because it feels like it's been forever but uh took I away a couple of points i think it was and find him a small amount what happened was he was a couple of pounds underweight um but really the amount that he was underweight i asked one of the kv racing guys uh how much they were underweight the amount of rubber that he burned off of the tires that he picked up after the race and about a couple of gallons of gas were all that he was underweight because he did a, a nice long post-race burnout after he won at milwaukee yeah, so, I mean, I that and that's kind of a traditional NASCAR way of doing things. You win, even though you're you're, you know, not quite up to standards. The archaic way was to to take away points in a lot of ways. I mean, the only thing that was the most severe thing that we ever saw in NASCAR for a long time was the Mark Martin, Dale Earnhardt Senior uh, fiasco. I think it was Mark Martin's carburetor, something like that, way back in the early nineties. And that, yeah, that was that was at Richmond, uh, second race of the year. Yep. And basically, that that's still disputed by by people to this day. It it was real vague and thing, but in, in other words, the spacer instead of just being uh, dropping down over the uh, carburetor studs and metal, they had welded the spacer to the intake manifold, and and 
So it was just uh, NASCAR decided it was illegal and in and their interpretation of the rules. And I think uh, I forget how many points uh, Martin was docked, but it was significant enough that it was it was it was the difference in the championship uh, yeah. that particular year. But you know, I think I think all sanctioning bodies for credit credibility now uh, <laughs> with a new with a new fan base and like I think someone mentioned earlier, the media coverage now is is so much greater. Uh, it's more eyeballs on on things. It's uh, more people are looking at it. Back in the day when these old rules were written, like the NASCAR, it was basically you. You didn't have a large TV audience. The most of your audience was was in the stands, and that was Bill France's way of, you know, we want our fans to leave the racetrack, you know, seeing seeing the the winner take the checkered flag. And uh, but I don't think those things apply anymore. No, I so, I, have, I absolutely agree. Yeah, that uh, you know this day and age, information is instant. You know, and. Um, Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. And if they actually disqualify some guys, we may see, you know, maybe a little curtailing on the uh, skirting the rules and maybe some tries, guys just try to win legal, you know. So, I don't know. Well, Here's a quick at... question for you, sorry. Here's a very quick question for you, Gray. If, if a team created in NASCAR a perfectly legal car, where would they finish the race? They would not, in, in this day and time, in the, with, with the current climate, uh, they wouldn't even probably wouldn't even be competitive. No. Because you, they wouldn't. They really wouldn't be competitive. You have got to. You have got to stretch. You've got to stretch the rules. You've got to. Uh, I mean, there's an old there's an old saying: cheat to compete. But but and like I said, it's part of the culture in our sport. And it's 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 stretching the rule book and the rules as far as you can. It's why we do the things we do and put the time in the in the templates each week making them fit and do everything we can do, taking it right up to the edge that, that what we think we can get away, get away with, and we can argue the point and get that car to the racetrack. And it's not only us, it's the other 40, other 40 competitors in the garage area are doing the same thing to some degree. Guys stay awake at night looking for tricks and, and to, and, and, and to way to make these cars work and to gain that advantage each and every week and uh you're right richard if you took a perfectly legal car to the racetrack i i don't even think you'd be competitive man that's a <laughs> that's a strong statement man but you're probably absolutely right so you know well that's what i'm saying nascar's got to close 
got to close up some of this stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, as a sanction body, they need to clamp down and just, and then just maybe change that culture. You know. Well, because, that, like because I said, if, it, if, if if all forty cars were legal, then all forty cars would be competitive. With, with yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, you know what I'm saying. And I tell you another thing too, and I'm, I'm briefly, so we can. We, I know we need, need to move on to other things, but you know, in this current financial climate, with things, you know, everybody's looking at looking at their dollars. NASCAR is doing the same thing. NASCAR has cut the number of inspectors that are at the racetrack by a bunch. These inspectors are worked hard, it's particularly on these on these weekends where the, both the Xfinity Series and the Cup Series are, are at the same track. These guys are running back and forth between the garages. NASCAR has nowhere near the inspection force that they had uh, five, six years ago, and they're cutting they're cutting their costs back just as like the team the teams are trying to too. But there again, you know, it's a crazy situation like Richard alluded to earlier in the show they're they're coming up with rules that are costing the teams more money but they are cutting back on their uh, on their inspection forces at the racetrack too now it taking them to, to Concord on Tuesday is an entirely different thing because that's a that's a closed environment it's very small and they have a an unlimited amount of time to do to do that inspection but uh, inspections at the track are uh, or, or, or as thorough as they can be, and they're using technology to try to do it, but uh, they have less people there uh, doing the inspections. All right, so with that said, let's talk about Richmond. Richmond is the last race before the playoffs begin. we got a couple guys in desperate need of a win. Uh, Logano, we, we had mentioned, his one and only win is encumbered. Uh, he's well, he's you know a couple spots below the, the, the cut line. Clint Boyer's looking for a win to get in there. So was uh, Jamie Murray's right on the cusp. Matt Kenseth. Um, let's go ahead. Let's go around the table. Make some picks for Richmond. I'm gonna start with you, Christopher. Because you've been so quiet. Uh, I figured Dale Jr. gets the call again. <laughs> okay. All right. Seth, you could be next. Uh. Well, Chris took somebody else considering, so... Yay. <laughs> Yay. I, I am going to go with uh, Suarez. I'd say he uh, sticks it to Subway with some donuts in Victory Lane. <laughs> you know, that'd be funny. <laughs> <laughs> Good old Daniel yeah. Suarez, okay. Uh, and for those who uh, didn't catch the story, Subway pulled out of sponsoring Suarez and Gibbs because of a segment he did for NBC at New Hampshire passing out donuts to race fans. Right, because... They were, oh. dunking, they were dunking Donuts, right, Brand X. And, and Subway has a, a breakfast menu now, this day and age, and they did not like uh, their uh, spokesman, per se, uh, you know, peddling a competitor's products. So, but, uh, you but, know, whatever. Uh, in, but apparently in having it to us... But apparently and, and, having Jared Fogle on there was not was good enough for them, so you know they're gonna they can pound sand over this. And in yeah. NBC, <laughs> and in Swartz's defense, NBC, one of their corporate uh, sponsors is Dunkin' Donuts. Oh yes, so, absolutely, yeah. So and I it mean, was an NBC segment. So I think the whole thing is silly, and if you ask me, the the real 
reason is deeper than that, and and I think Subway put their money on Carl Edwards, and they didn't want they didn't want the Suarez guy there. So, um, you know, it, it is it is what it is. You know, Subway wanted out some somewhere, and they did. But you know, to my friend Joey's point, this is this is just really side news that probably doesn't even need to be mentioned. So, uh, with that being said, Gray, you've got the next pick for Richmond. Oh, wow. Uh, I'm going to go with the 18. Uh, he'll, uh, I think he, he usually runs strong, pretty strong there at Richmond. I think he'll get the win. Absolutely. And uh, Richard? Uh, Joe Logano. Well, you just stole mine. I was going to say, Joe Logano, <laughs> Joe Logano won in Richmond earlier. Exactly. Yeah, but wouldn't that be neat if he, uh, you know, his encumbered win, is keeping out of the chase, and he had a straight-up, uh, you know, more or less unencumbered win uh, to get him into the chase. So, uh, uh, so uh, I'm trying to think who you guys left me. I'll go with Jamie McMurray. Uh, there's another guy, you know, who's – Really run pretty strong all year, uh, right on the cusp of making it in. And you know what? I really dug that uh, livery he had at um, Darlington. It was the old, uh, the the original McDonald's when they first got in the sport. And you know, some some of you guys that know me know I worked in McDonald's marketing at the time when we had uh, Hutch Strickland and then Jimmy Spencer in that car with that exact, uh, you know, the red livery. You talking about you talking about uh, the the one car at Darlington? Well, yeah, it was, but the delivery was from the old 27 Junior Johnson car. No, no, the old livery was from the number one Hawaiian Tropic car that David Pearson won the 1980 Southern 500 in. Right, but the but the McDonald's logos on the car were... Oh, the old, they had the old, had the old style McDonald's logo. Yeah, the old style McDonald's logo, right, right from the old Hutch Strickland and Jimmy Spencer yeah. cars that uh, back when I uh, worked in marketing for McDonald's, we, we had that, and we had to... Texas Pete on the on the on the back uh, quarter panel. So I mean, it was a little combination of both. Uh, but I thought it was beautiful cars. Either way, I, I'm gonna say Jamie McMurray is gonna take a win for Chip Ganassi and get himself in the playoffs along with his uh, teammate who was doing so well this year. So uh, with that being said, uh, Joey's got a pick. No, Joey doesn't. Thanks. Joey doesn't get a pick. Thanks, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> Joey, I'm sorry I skipped. Joey, who do you like? Kevin Harvick. Um, I actually like this race to probably get rained out with the weather that's going to be hitting the East Coast. But um, yeah, that's true. I, I tell you, I think that uh, Kurt Busch. I mean, he's just really good at Richmond, and this Ford package is pretty good at Richmond too. So um, I'm going to go Kurt Busch. Good pick, good pick, um, and uh, a little bit of truck race news. I know Seth, you want to mention that uh, up in uh, you know uh, up there in Mossport. What do they call it now? Yes. Canadian Tire. Uh, Canadian Tire Motorsport Park. Yeah, I, I just I, I like to call it Mossport because that's where it was when I raced the Formula V there years ago. But um, yeah, Austin Cindric, um, son of Tim uh, Cindric, drives for Brad Keselowski. Did a little. Was it a bump and run or a dump and run? Depends um, on who you ask. Well, if you ask Cass, it was a dump and run. Um, either way, there are not a lot of folks happy with uh, Austin Cindric right now. Uh, but Austin's pretty happy to take his first truck win. So, Seth, what are your thoughts on the Canadian uh, motorsports part? Well, it was a good race overall. Uh, honestly, I think that Austin Cindric, to a certain point, did what he had to do. Uh, 
it took him until the white flag to actually catch Cadscrawler, and he had two, maybe three passing opportunities. Turn five, where he rammed Grawler and spun Grawler out. Uh, turn seven or eight, which uh, are at the end of the back straightaway, and then the final turn, where we've seen wreck after wreck after wreck. Chase Elliott and Austin Dillon, John Harnimchek, and uh, and uh, Cole Custer last year. So it was bound to happen. Just where on the track was anybody's guess. And Austin said it himself when he got out of the truck. With the way the playoff system is, he felt like he was backed into this corner and that he had to do what he did. Uh, granted, he was somewhat defending himself but at the same time, uh, he was kind of telling the truth. Uh, he won also in a throwback truck, too, that uh, Brad uh, had uh, wrapped him. Chase Briscoe, they were both running throwback trucks. And John Hunter Nemechek also ran throwback truck to Ron Fellows, who owns the track now. So I thought that was kind of cool. That is kind of cool, yeah. Yeah, go I'm Taylor. sorry if I'm. I'm sorry Robert. if I'm Castrala. I'm be- beating somebody's ass. <laughs> yeah, Damn. yeah, yeah. But uh, shoot, Ron, Ron Fellows is one of the uh, original NASCAR road course ringers. Yeah, so um, gotta love that guy. So yeah, you know, good weekend for Austin Cindric. You know, so uh, maybe you know when you have a little controversy, your name is in the news. So good for Austin. Uh, good for. Good for Brad Keselowski truck racing before they shut down the operation at the end of the season. So, but let's move on to uh, IndyCar. Let's talk about Watkins Glen. We had we wrapped up the uh, Mazda Road Indy Series there, and we had the penultimate race of the uh, uh, Verizon IndyCar Series. Joseph Newgarden. It was this is we had talked about this is his championship to lose, and he certainly took a step towards that. With a mistake coming out of pit road, he's not put himself out of it by any stretch of the imagination, but he really tightened the points battle up. But I'm going to throw it over to you, Chris and Joey. You guys spent the weekend at Watkins Glen, so I'm just going to let you two just talk about it and just fill us in. I mean, um, Rossi, I mean, in qualifying, I mean, he was just blazing, got the pole. Um, You know, come race time, we thought, as did everybody that was around, around the sport, about um, the fact that this was probably going to be rain, uh, rain affected. So even IndyCar had had all the teams start on wet tires and, you know, start the race, wet tires. Next thing you know, lap one, the track's dry enough to where all these guys are swarming pit road. And after everything got cycled out, um, we saw kind of an influx of things happening at the front of the field. But, you know, aside from James Hinchcliffe's early exit uh, on lap five, um, everything started to, to bounce the right way. Spencer Piggott led his first laps due to all that weird strategy going on. So he led his first IndyCar laps of his career. So that was good for him. But Rossi was just a rocket ship. I mean, he'd sit there and go to the front. If it thing, if this thing involves a reef or a fuel issue, because he had a fuel nozzle issue happen, uh, he seems to do a good job winning races. So, um, he, he talked about how it's fitting that he won his first pole at Watkins Glen, given his European background, because it, it fits a lot of the European track mold. And, um, I mean, he ended up storming to the front, 
Scott Dixon started to, to come on strong there at the end. Couldn't quite get the job done. They were trading fast laps at the very end there. And then Ryan hunter Ray gave Andretti, Andretti Autosport their second driver on the podium to give it lead a Honda sweep. Um, interestingly, um, the rest of the top ten, just to kind of go down here, Elio Castroneves, Graham Rahal, Will Power, Charlie Kimball with a good, good solid run, rebounding from contact with the wall early on. Max Chilton, uh, Simon Pagino, and Carlos Munoz. That's your top ten. Um, you know, honestly, I think what's interesting when we take away from this race, and Chris, you might agree with this, is Joseph Newgarden. This was with fifteen or so laps to go. Joseph didn't have to make that move because they were pitting. He was trying to race his teammate Will Power off a of pit road to get ahead of him on the exit lane, and we know how narrow the exit lane is at Watkins Glen. He didn't quite get even close to side-by-side side there on the exit lane, and he was too fast, hits the fence. Next thing you know, he gets jacked up by board A in the back, and Tony Kanaan ends up kind of a part of it as well to, to complete a trifecta. But all he had to do was finish behind Will Power to eliminate his teammate in Sonoma. He didn't have to actually race him. So I just call this a lack of maturity and understanding the championship battle. This is the things that benefit guys like Scott Dixon and Elliot Keshnev is obviously moving into next week. But these are the things you don't see out of Dixon and things like that. And there's a reason for it. It's just they're calculated. They understand everything going in. And I think this is just something that Joseph is going to have to learn from. When you look at what was going on at the time, trying to get out ahead of Will Power, he just let his racing instincts take over instead of, um, well, let me phrase, a more mature racing driver, someone who's been in the sport for a few more years, may would not have pushed as hard coming off a of pit road as Joseph did, although I commend the fact that he was pushing hard and was going to push hard no matter what. There are some times when you have to know, you know when to back off. Um that being said, the fact that he was still able to even finish the race in the first place uh, was pretty amazing given that, you know, Bourdais jacked him up pretty badly in the back. Um, cannot even hit the wall there too, which I wasn't expecting. But then again, he might have been focused on the guys in front of him instead of where his car was going. But still, it was a fantastic drive from Rossi. And what was also good is that you got to see a few guys that ran up front during the race that normally didn't run up front. For a few laps there, I think it was eight or nine laps, Spencer Piggott ran up front because of a strategy call that they made. Uh, Jack Harvey was in the top five as well, and it was good to see a bunch of different guys get up there in the first place. And of course, the bad luck of the race you know, doesn't go to Joseph Newgarden. To me, it goes to James Hinchcliffe on lap uh, four or five. You know, to go shift from second, from third gear, I think, to fourth gear, it went right down into first gear, which uh, that's not a pleasant sound. I guess uh, Richard and Gray can definitely uh, expand oh, on yeah. that. But when you look at this championship chase, Dixon is down right now, I think, by, th- like, what, three points? So yeah. statistically, it's pretty much a dead heat. And a lot of guys are saying that, you know, Penske having three guys in the top four, they're the underdogs right now because Dixon has just been that good. But. When you have strength in numbers can definitely benefit you with you when you have three of the top four guys in the championship. Well, I think I think one thing to take away from this race, though, also is because we all thought it was going to be a rain race, and some guys didn't set up their cars that way. You know, Penske went high downforce all across the board, expecting rain, and there's a reason they were great in the corners. They were getting just dogged down the straightaways, and a lot of the Honda teams were a little bit more trimmed out. Guys like Graham Rahal were really even. 
Um, you know, Rossi said that even if it had rained, he was going to stay trimmed out because he just felt that good and that confident on the, on the wet. So a lot of this race and a lot of the high passing we saw is 150 passes in the race total over the 60 laps. Um, you know, you look at everything uh, among 21 competitors, you, you look at everything and it's a lot of that was just we didn't know which way everything was going to go. So there was an alternate with the spoilers, uh, the rear wings, not spoilers, just in NASCAR. But, uh, you know, there's an alternate with a lot of different variables like that. So looking forward to Sonoma, um, and that'll be a, a fun one to, to go to as well. Um, there's actually going to be a there's there's a test there this week for some people, but there's actually a test day the day before everything gets started on next Thursday. There's a six hour, all teams are out there. Um, so anything you could possibly hope to extract for the weekend, we're going to get, um, we got seven guys mathematically eligible for this championship, um, heading into Sonoma. Obviously there's some variables to play out there that we'll get into next week, but you know, all in all, I thought Watkins Glen was a pleasant, was a pleasant race. It, it made for a good show and, um, I'm happy I called the podium. So yes, you, you did. Yes, you did. So let's let's talk about Rossi for a second, okay? Rossi is a good friend of our show. We've had Rossi on our show three or four times in his junior Formula days, and and we've had him on our show after his Formula One debut. Uh, we had him on our show after our IndyCar debut. He's been a great friend of the show. Um, we were there when he won the Indy 500, um, but this performance this weekend is what we've been waiting for out of him um i mean we, we've seen it all year long he's gotten better and better he's had a little bad luck here bad little bad luck here but i mean here's a guy who just puts up the perfect weekend you know um wins the pole leaves the most lap wins the race um right after he's uh, signed his contract for next year and got all that all that uncertainty out of his mind now he's got he's got a clear mind he knows where he's staying knows what he's doing um, I mean, think about next year, Common Arrow Kit, where it's going to equalize the Chevys and Hondas a bit. Um, I, I really want to say Rossi's a threat for the for the title next year from race one. I mean, technically, he's a threat for the championship this year. Yes, he's he is. Still, yes, yeah, he I mean, is. he's still in it. He's um, still in it, yep. And actually... I like him for Sonoma, if I'm being honest with you. Um, I know he probably won't win the title with all the variables coming out but because uh, he's like some 80 points back. But I've I've been saying this for a while is that everybody's so high on Joseph Newgarden, as am I. I, I, I think Joseph is a real talent. Um, and we've got a couple of really good young Americans in this series moving forward. And I think when you look at Rossi, you know, he hasn't had quite the same development as a Joseph Newgarden has. His was a different car, different environment different background, social settings, etc. And now that he's getting himself acclimated to this, I mean, this is what it's going to take. Like, the future of IndyCar is going to run through these two for the next 10 or 15 years. It isn't going to run through anybody else. I mean, you talk about the Rick Mears and the Denny Sullivans. We've got kind of the new generation of that, and I think this is just the beginning of both these kids. I think it's good yeah, it's too. They're, exciting, both, they're, they're yeah. both American. They're both Americans, and two and and I think this is what Rossi's thirty second start is. That correct? Yep. Yep. Thirty second start. I mean, you know, I tell you what, you know, give him give him some time, a little get some seat time under him. Uh, I I think the you know what, um, I think you know, the best is yet to come for him, no yeah, doubt. 
here's what's really critical about this Rossi situation that that can't be uh, undersold at all is the fact that Jeremy Millis is a new that's his new uh, crew chief over there. And uh, he's got Rob Edwards calling strategy for him. A lot of that was brand new to him this year. You know, uh, Millis was with Newgarden last year uh, at ECR. Whenever Newgarden split to Penske, we saw uh, the the former split over to uh, Rossi's camp while Herta went over to uh, Marco Andretti's pit. So you let them. I know we got a new car coming out, but that communication's good. He had said it this past weekend that they really started getting on the same page around May. Now, and we've seen them click off runs. You know, this is three podiums in the last six races. He's finished no lower than sixth in all those races. I mean, they're really starting to hit their stride. And, and Andretti Autosport, too. I mean, I, I called it before the year that I think the best driver coming into Sonoma that's going to be the top in the standings would be Rossi. I know a lot of people thought it would be Hunter Ray. We're seeing, in my opinion, a changing of the guard at Andretti Autosport, and um, and it's starting with Rossi. Yeah, and one other thing I want to throw out there about Rossi is he's he's kind of been a little bit of everywhere, you know, um, at the bequest of Napa, who was uh, actually fi- signed on for a multi-year deal to uh, keep their name on that car um, in a limited role for the next couple seasons. But you know, we saw Rossi at Watkins Glen earlier in the year at the NASCAR race. Um, you know, with Napa and uh, promoting IndyCar and, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, supporting his uh, Napa teammate, Chase Elliott. Yep. Uh, we nice. saw we saw him at the U.S. He was at the U.S. Nationals just days after yep. winning the Glen. He was there this weekend. So, uh, uh, you know, Rossi is also pretty good pitch man for um, pretty, pretty big, uh, <laughs> you know, pretty big uh name in uh in auto parts and and racing so uh you know good on him you know because you know the the racing and winning is one thing but being endearing yourself to the sponsors and those folks are another and i, I think rossi is really uh walking that line quite well you know yeah, I, I, mean, I, I really I, i've just seen him mature uh in in this role and just uh you know people say he's bland yeah, yeah, he is. He's he's a little, you know, he's got that Formula One in him where he's a little bland. But um, at the same time, sponsors love him. This guy is awesome, and he's everywhere I mean, doing what he needs to do. I can't say he's bland. I just, you know, he's going to listen to what you have to say, and if what you have to say doesn't make any sense, he just doesn't care. And and <laughs> I, I, That's I mean, I like it honestly. Uh, I think it's funny. You know, he signs that deal, uh, Napa hundredth Indy five hundred, goes and wins the race. Who knew? Um, here he signs a deal, uh, you know, two year, two year and a half after that, roughly, uh, signs a deal for 10 races next year with Napa goes and wins a race. It's awesome. Um, we need, we need place, we need places, companies like Napa in this sport. Not a lot of people know what NTT data are. Not a lot of people can, can go and look at a lot of the companies that are on the side of these Indy cars and relate. And I, you know, Aero Electronics, what the hell is that? You know, I, I think Fitz, Fitzgerald Glider Kids. Exactly. They, they, they I, I, make truck parts, yeah. So there's a lot of business-to-business stuff, but yeah, but you know Napa. Exactly, and I, I think that that's critical is to have them in the sport. It's Who knew that this would start from a one-race deal in the Indy 500 and culminate? It's, it's a good story. This is the kind of thing that you look for to help grow the sport. And, and you know, it's only going to continue to grow moving forward if they continue to just knock knock doors down like this. But um yeah. That's a good point because a company like Napa can not only marketing their driver, 
they will market the sport as well in all their you know point of purchase things and in their in their TV ads and things. So that that's a good move, you know, securing Napa and getting into because Napa will will promote their driver and will promote the sport along along with them. And and to kind of knock out some of the silly season stuff before we look into Sonoma real quick, part of it involving Sonoma, um, you know, talking about MRTI, um, and Chris can probably go a little bit more in depth with with some of the USF and and Pro Mazda races. Uh, Indy Lights is a hell of a show in the full wet. Uh, it's phenomenal. Um, great defending, great passing, a lot of different line variables. Uh, you know, it's pretty much three or four guys just trading positions for the lead um, with Aaron Tealitz booking in the season with the pair of wins. Uh, Kyle Kaiser's going to be an IndyCar driver next year, winning the championship in Indy Lights. Uh, he gets a guaranteed three starts in IndyCar, one of those the 102nd Indy 500. He hasn't said where he's going to end up yet. That's not really confirmed. We, well, I, I'm not going to actually put Chris into this because I'm not going to, I don't know if he thinks this, but Uncoast Racing looking to go to Indy 500 next year again, looking to go full season next year. They've had four years with Kaiser. I think it continues personally. I can't think it goes anywhere else for him. Um, and also other silly season stuff that's going on. Uh, Zachary Clayman DeMello, another Indy Lights driver over at Carlin, is going to be making his debut next weekend for in a second car for Graham Rahal at uh, Rahal Letterman Lanigan. So, um, you know, there's there's five or six Indy Lights guys that are looking at Indy IndyCar opportunities next year, but those are the two that we definitely know about. Obviously, oh, yeah. Santi Rodio says he's... And the other one is they're saying that um, Juan Pablo Garcia may be in a Schmidt-Peterson car at Sonoma. He's testing right there now. They they may run a third car. They haven't announced that yet, but uh, it's another, that's another Indy Lights guy who may be in an Indy car before the season is up. Which makes no sense to me. He hasn't run it in a couple of years, I don't think. Well, but, well, I, I guess he wrote a check. I don't know. It's like uh, just an odd news story I wrote, so. I mean, it's not as weird as, uh, you know, what's his name at Indy? Uh, Howard. I Jay mean, Howard, yeah. Yeah, yeah so. Jay Howard, yeah. And, and, of course, you know, Jack Harvey, who was out out, out of uh, Indy Lights for a while. Now he's, you know, he's been back in a car. He was at the 500. Uh, and, and Michael's Michael's making rumblings that he's going to have a fifth team uh, next year. Probably, my guess is uh, with Michael Shank. Um, I, I, I'm pretty sure the whole Alonzo... I think Alonzo's going to stay with McLaren. A couple new stories, you know. So the Alonzo to Andretti next year, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, Michael's got a fourth seat to announce. He's going to announce by Sonoma. Uh, a lot of people are saying that's Tony Kanon. I don't know if that is or not. I've heard Kanon to Schmidt more than anywhere else, probably. Actually, right, right, right. yeah. But Michael's good. Michael's saying he's going to announce his fourth driver at Sonoma. And he's talking like he's going to announce a fifth, which which is likely with uh, with some help from Michael Shank. So we'll see how all that plays out, and we can discuss most of that next week as well. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it's going to be interesting to see a couple of extra cars on the grid at Sonoma, um, you know, with these uh, lights guys. And I tell you, and Chris, <laughs> I just I just want to go to Chris for a second. It's just funny thing, you know, people were were somebody. Chris, you you saw the thing we're talking about. It's just like, oh man, all these—that's what you want. Bunch of uh, foreigners in the sport, you know. Kaiser and I'm like, okay, yeah, you, you do know Kyle Kaiser was born in California, 
California. Yes, indeed. Has, and California hasn't seceded from the Union yet, yet, but he's so he's still an American. So it's, it's kind of funny the the name recognition of the lights guys is not there yet in popular culture. But um, but if you're not watching these guys, Aaron Tegelitz, another great American driver, you know. So. And, and what's really strange is that you know a fellow motorsports writer you know told us that in NASCAR some people give him heck for you know talking about Joseph Newgarden saying oh he's not American. Not only is he American, he is Southern. You know, yeah. from Tennessee, yeah, he's from Hendersonville, from Tennessee, Tennessee. Tennessee. Well, because his, you know he spells it with that F. Joseph, he must be a German, but he's not. Well, the thing is, his mother na- spelled his name like that to um, go represent their Slavic heritage. Now, one thing I did want to bring up, um, speaking about Southern guys, so Team USA has their annual shootout for um, uh, going for the Team USA scholarship for going to the Formula Ford Festival in England, and there's a driver there that's actually from Sulphur, Louisiana. So... I followed him on Twitter. He actually would be the first driver ever from Louisiana to go to this if he manages to be one of the two drivers that wins the shootout. So for Aaron Johnson, let's see if he can actually uh, steal the deal here. Um, now, that being said, we did have a, this past weekend some Road to Indy championships that got solved. Uh, moving from top to bottom, Indy Lights, Cal Kaiser, all he had to do was start the race. I mean, the only thing that was going to stop him was having a massive voodoo doll uh, of an engine with a bunch of pins in it stopping him. Um, Aaron Tulitz, as we mentioned earlier, won the race. Uh, a fantastic win for him, given that his season has not been the greatest. Um, I mean, Bellardi Auto Racing as a whole has had ups and downs the whole season. It was like a big roller coaster for them. Uh, <laughs> stepping down to Pro Mazda, they had two races this weekend. Victor Franzoni from uh, Brazil did what he had to do. He won both polls. He won both races, and he probably needed this championship the most of any uh, driver on the road to Indy that was looking for a scholarship because he didn't have a ride this year until three days before the season started, and it was thanks to uh, his teammate Jeff Green, not the one from the NASCAR, but a different guy, um, funding this, his, the, the ride for this year. And Victor said a very poignant quote in, uh, when he was gonna get, said he was going to get the scholarship because he got a check for $790,000 at the banquet on Monday night. He said the Maserati Indy does not just give scholarships, they give hope. And that resonated with a lot of people. Um, moving down to uh, well, the guy that he beat, Anthony Martin, you know, didn't walk away too bad because as the rookie of the year for the championship, he won a, he gets a free Mazda passenger car of his choice. So eh, he gets a little bit there too. Moving down to USF 2000, Oliver Askew, uh, another American, Jupiter, Florida, won the championship by finishing second to Renus VK, which is the Americanized version of Van Kompthout, a guy from the Netherlands who was a carter. And what was really interesting about these two guys is that they both were in their first full season racing cars, and they finished 1-2 in this championship with VK scoring uh, every race either sixth or above and won three races while Askew won seven races uh, this year. And another good thing about Franzoni, I'll go ahead and just bring this up, even though I'm going back up the ladder. Twelve races in Pro Mazda, Victor finished second five times. His other seven races were wins. And that kind of consistency wins you championships. Oh, absolutely. So with that being said, man, you know, fantastic uh, season for the Maserati Indy. Uh, hats off to all those guys. 
and and Joey, you and I have discussed this is probably the best ladder series of any in American motorsports. But uh, but we're running out of time. But but Formula One was in Monza, and um, Joey, you told me last week I would be nuts to pick a Mercedes to win at Monza. But uh, what happened? Yeah, 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 yeah. Good times. Lewis Hamilton won. There you go. Is that what you wanted to hear? Not necessarily. <laughs> I, I wanted to hear more about the uh, the racing action and whatnot. But, uh, um, but I yeah, mean, you Lewis got, Hamilton you, did you, win. Yeah. So I mean, the the weekend for me personally it was a little bittersweet looking at F one because you know. We'll, we'll get into qualifying in a minute, but but Hamilton scoring the pole broke the tie between him and Schumacher in Monza, Ferrari's home ground, um, which you could argue that Schumacher should have had 69 poles since one of those was a fast lap that was taken away in qualifying. But, um, you know, broke it in Monza, goes, dominates, wins. Uh, Mercedes uh, just had a 1-2 with him and Botas. Qualif- you know, the race itself was kind of an interesting dynamic because – Ferrari just didn't have the pace at all. I mean, Vettel was a distant third. Um, and then you look at Kimi, he struggled with handling. Um, you know, he didn't even crack the top five. So all in all, you know, I think that the shine has to be on on Williams and, and the likes of Lance Stroll and Felipe Massa. I mean, they Lance Stroll had a, had a phenomenal race, um, you know, as did Esteban Ocon. I mean, he's... He's finished in the points in almost every race this year, I think, except one. So, um, you know, all things all things considered, the race kind of wasn't the most thrilling, wasn't the most exciting. A lot of that action was in qualifying, um, where we saw uh, rain hit Q1, and five minutes into Q1, Lewis Hamilton could barely hold on to his car on the straight line. He's aquaplaning so much, and then like two minutes later, we see Romain Grosjean try to try to do the same thing and he goes from from one guardrail to the other and uh we you know he was out of the race he had some very animated words to say he was not happy with the fact that that they were out there qualifying in, in the rain talked about the fact that the fia is so concerned about safety with the halo innovations and other innovations that are coming out yet they're out there they're, you know raining uh, racing and qualifying in the rain that's that was just rampant i mean if you wreck in a straight line, that says something. Helmet Marco thinks that Romain Grosjean wrecks everywhere. <laughs> if you talk to Helmet Marco, but uh, it's a what was that? Four hours of qualifying that it got suspended by before we finally got this thing going, and then um, you know all things kind of came together for Ham- Hamilton to do what he did. We saw the Red Bull duo go two three, and then but because of grid penalties, it was actually Ocon that started on the front row. Uh, or no, I'm sorry, Lance Stroll that started on the front Lance row with Stroll, Ocon. Yeah. So, uh, good showing for Stroll and Ocon. Uh, they showed me something. You know, a lot of talent shines in the wet, and it clearly showed for those guys. But um, that was uh, that was also that was Stroll's first time driving in the wet. Wow. Yeah. That's so, uh, but that was uh, yeah. I get your impressive. And get your thoughts on this. Uh, Van Dorn also, before I forget, had a hell of an effort. Um, obviously an engine issue or power issue. Nailed him. But he was running comfortably in the top ten uh, before before that happened. And uh, he was outpacing Alonzo by, by quite a lot So before, before his engine mishap. But, 
Um, you know, and I know Richard, you'll probably, I don't know if you'll agree with me or not, but I actually agree with Grosjean 100% on this situation. Um, I thought we learned our lesson in Suzuka a couple of years ago, and I guess we didn't. Uh, I, I don't really know what to say. I know it wasn't a typhoon we were racing in this go-around, but the rain was, was pretty rampant. These Pirellis were were older. We're, we're kind of a weird situation here. Um, you know, we hadn't run in the wets on these Pirellis before, and the first thing we're going to test them in is what was monsoon-like rain for a little while. Yeah, it, it's a very difficult. You know, you, you've got... The FAA, on one hand, have an obligation to the fans and the spectators, especially the guys that, you know, pay good money for tickets there. They, they may have only had a, a, a ticket for Saturday, and they they want to see cars on track. Um, but on the other hand, you know, you don't want a scenario like we saw, unfortunately, in Suzuka a few years ago with, uh, you know, a guy there... Um, yeah, having a, a fatal accident basically, um, and they've got to play that uh, play that card very carefully. Um, my opinion is that um, these guys are the self-declared or whatever you want to call it best drivers in the world. They they have a right foot that uh, they can use that right foot. Um, if if you or I don't want to go and drive on the road because the weather's too bad, we don't. There is nobody forcing their hand. You look at Nicky Lauda back in the 70s when he pulled out of the race in Fuji because he thought it was too dangerous. Um, you know, and that's that's not um, to be you know disrespectful to people who are concerned about their safety, but um, you know. There is a, there is the ability and there is the discipline. You know, the drivers are disciplined, and you know, so you know, when we lost uh, Jules Bianchi back at back at Suzuka, um, it it was a reminder that you know this is a dangerous sport, and uh, you know, Monza especially more so than probably any other circuit in the world is incredibly dangerous in the wet. You know, you look at some of those high speed corners like Curva Grande and the Lesmos and the Parabolica. You know they're difficult enough in the dry. Um, it's a very very difficult situation, but you almost want to have a a tally system. You know, you get the twenty drivers together and say, right, you know, if you want to go out, if we get a majority, you go out. If you don't, you don't. Let them sort it out. They're big boys and big girls, or big boys, I guess, aren't they? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I mean, I agree honestly. Uh, I, I Charlie Whiting has, without question the toughest job in all of motorsports period. I, I think no matter what he does, he's wrong, uh, you know, by the, by, I mean, it, it, I, the thing that, that scares me about this situation is the fact that we didn't take that poll, you know, and that, you know, I say this and maybe this is why I was jumping so quick to the conclusion of they shouldn't have been out there in the first place. Lewis Hamilton is one of the top three guys probably in the world most talented uh, along with with alonzo and then you can put whoever number three uh, i know that's kind of up for discussion but i look at at hamilton struggling in a straight line and then i see grosjean walling it in a straight line and i start to wonder 
you know, can we just do something better with the tires? And and it was said well, on it was said on the NBC. Go ahead. Quickly interrupt that. I don't think. I, th- I think the issue at Mons was a unique situation in that the start finish line had been repaved. And I think if you go to like the local, local ice rink in Monza, that's probably got a load of tarmac down on it. And the start finish line at Monza has got the ice rink on it. That was crazy. Um, you know, that they, they need to drain that better. They need to drain that better. Cause yeah. I don't know if it was the, the sort of the um, ceiling compounds leaking out of the tarmac, which were causing the problem there. Um, but yeah, that was uh, that was the only part of the track that was really dangerous. Um, that they were really having concerns with, I think. Um, you know, and I'm sure for next year that'll be looked at. And and to put it in perspective of how dangerous it was, these cars. Uh, this was reported on the NBC telecast. Is these t- each Pirelli tire, rain tire, can can let off let out 22 gallons of water per second. So that's almost 100 gallons per car, you know, four wheels going through there. And yet going through that section, they had no grip. I, I just, I mean, there's something to be said for that. And obviously every track has had their day of issues, uh, you know, Texas motor speedway. Now, now we can talk about Monza that way. Um, but I don't know. Um, beyond that, you also have, uh, the issue kind of sidetracking here to something that's more, more related that, that involved Haas and, is the fact that he doesn't know, you know a couple of years ago it's it's the expectations were there and everything was suitable and it looks like he's starting to change his stance on on what they're capable of doing because uh, you know he's saying with the with the cost and with everything else going on I think that the the realization is starting to hit him of what the modern day F1 is without customer cars and everything else going on and uh, and then different parts uh, you know cost effectiveness that he's questioned. You know, he's like, if we can't win in this sport, I don't see the point in being in it. And um, well, that's that's the interesting question you have to ask. Then I guess you 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 have to ask the question, why get in it? What you know, back in 2014, 15ish, when he decided to invest, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of of his money and of sponsors' money into the racing series, why did he do it? Was it as a marketing tool? Was it to win championships? Was it to encourage uh, American drivers into Formula 1 on a global scale? Was it to encourage a, uh American car manufacturer into Formula 1? You know, he, he's the only one that probably knows the real answer to that. Um, so as you say, if he's turning around saying, well, why am I doing this? Well, why did you do it in the first place? If, you t- if he turned around... Now, Gene has, you know, has been very, very successful in NASCAR, you know, very, very successful in business. He's no idiot. You know, if he turned around and three or four years ago, when he decided to invest the money and said, I'm going to go out into Formula 1 and win the world championship, n- n- no, sorry. That isn't what he was thinking. It cannot have been what he was thinking. Hey, otherwise, he's mad. Yeah, he's just, you know, he needs locking up <laughs> and putting in a psychiatric unit, if that's what he really thought. Because, no, there's no way... That against the might of Mercedes, who are already there, the might of Ferrari, the Red Bull juggernaut. Everybody knows how much. Because Haas and Red Bull are the only two manufacturers that are, or only two Formula One teams that are owned directly by a a, 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 a non-racing team. They are a commercial team. Red Bull went into Formula One 
to increase their brand awareness in Asia. And goodness me, did they do that. I mean, in some form, you know, the Red Bulls, the Haas, even the Williams. I mean, Williams came in as a customer car. You could argue that yeah. Privateer is customer car. It's just that they can sign a bigger check than regular customer car. Um, but so, I mean, I would dispute that claim on why we should have customer cars in the sport. Plus, it gives you a more healthy car count in Formula One. I mean, I know Michael Andretti has talked about it. It was brought up on the show. I think I brought it up last time. It's just he's yeah. talked about an expressed interest. But I guess back on point is I clearly Haas had no means of, of investing in having American interest in the sport, it seems like. Congratulations, you're an American team. You have a French driver. You have a, I believe, Kevin Magnussen, Swedish, if I remember Danish. it. Or no, he's Danish, sorry. Uh, see, get those mixed up. But uh, <laughs> he's got San, Santino Ferrucci, who hasn't done anything in GP3. Um, or F2. Or F2. And you have a chance, you had a chance to sign Rossi. I remember talking to Rossi last year at Coda, and I asked him if he was in contact with Rossi. He's like, nope. I was like, 150 winner? Um, the, the most recent American start drove his ass off to perfection, I think, in the U.S. Grand Prix that, uh, the year before against Fernando Alonso in the wet. That was one of the best drives that you could ever have hoped for in a manner, period. And um, I, it's it's honestly, at this point, it's insulting that he hasn't looked the direction of American drivers because clearly there's youth and there's talent here. But if he wants to let the uh, IndyCar series continue to have it, I'm certainly not going to complain. No. And that'll be the reason why the world can't take Americans in F1 seriously is because even when American owners have a chance, they don't even look at our own talent. No, it's, again, as you say, you know, you, you quite rightly point out that you, you, you've you've sort of scratched off three or four of the arguments as to why you'd enter Formula One. Um, you know, he's got a pretty good deal there going with Ferrari, so he's probably in the grand scheme of things not looking to uh, get a an American brand as an engine manufacturer. Unless is there the possibility somewhere down the road that they have a Dodge branded engine? Cosworth has an electric in, or has a, has an engine available waiting to be badged, but that's more for the IndyCar circuit, not the F1. Yeah. But well, yeah, also well, I, I, I kind of I kind of wonder why he moved his NASCAR team over to Ford, and I wonder if, yeah. I wonder if that had something to do with the Formula One, or if it's just totally non-related. And I mean, maybe Ford now sort of getting cold feet on it, and then Gene has his he's starting to, you know. Um, so oh, I don't know why I bother. Well, because maybe six months ago you knew Ford was going to get into Formula One, and now you know they're not. I I, I don't know. And and I applaud Gene for being in F one. We need more guys like him in F one. But oh, that, that, I, yeah. I, but I think that there has to be some realization of of the expectations and and the groundwork. Gunther Steiner is good. He's a great team principal, and I think they've got a great driver lineup. And I think the engineering is starting to get to the level that it needs to be. But you know. Let's be honest. When you look at all the updates, they simply just aren't. Nobody's going to have the money throughout the season to continue the updates and the money that it takes to continue those updates outside of Ferrari and Mercedes. No, I mean, it just isn't going to happen. And that's why guys like Force India, they're only good at, at really fast tracks like Spa and Monza and Williams, too. And whenever you go to some of these tighter tracks, some of those other, other you know, Hungary with McLaren, you know, is a. The engine sucks, so what happens? Well, they're going to be good there because the chassis is good, and it's going to be good at tight configurations like that. So 
they're not going to be good everywhere. They don't have the updates to be good everywhere. Nobody does unless they are Ferrari or Mercedes at this point. Which, in my mind, is kind of sad. You know, there was there was there was a time, and Gray's old enough to remember it, and Richard maybe a little bit, where you had six eight guys kept winning every week because they were the constructors with the Cosworth engine against the you know manufacturers. You know, and the manufacturer were, you know, it was, it was, uh, Renault, Renault Ferrari or Alfa Romeo. And it, I was, just wanted, it was a pretty level playing field. And now it's, I, the, yeah. The, 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 yeah, it's the, the teeter totter has, uh, there's no level. So go ahead, Richard. So I just want to, this, this is one of my big, uh, yeah, everybody looks at, um, you know, motorsport and especially Formula One in the bygone age. Or, you know, I think there's a little bit of rose tinted glasses going on there, to tell you the truth. Um, because I actually did a, um, just me going back quite a few years now, a research paper on this when I was at college, looking at motorsport uh, perspectives and how people you know view it. And one of the reasons why you had so many people win champion win races had in reality nothing to do with how competitive the series was. It was actually that the reliability rate was so high. Oh, sorry, so low. I mean, you if you had. Uh, a race where the top three cars started the race, all finished the race. I mean, you maybe got that once a year. It was very, very common for a car to finish 10 races out of 20. You know, the reliability levels were so low. Um, that, uh, and I think, I think that was one of the reasons why there were so many winners. Um, I don't think it was necessarily that it was so competitive. You actually look at the, the spread of lap times between... Um, t- take a comparable circuit uh, that's still around. The Hungara ring hasn't changed massively between when it first appeared in the mid-80s to, to what it is now. And there was like five or six seconds between the leading car and the 20th place car. Now it's two seconds between the first place and the 20th car. I mean, so in a weird way, just to kind of bring this full circle on this show, are you saying that maybe things like Lewis Hamilton's stats and Michael Schumacher's stats and things like that are technically kind of encumbered to their talent level <laughs> because, um, you know, because of the reliability very, being so good. It is very, very difficult to compare, you know, generations of any sport, uh, you know. Um, and, you know, the, the cars are completely different. Even going back, you know, 20 years to to the Schumacher era when he was starting to dominate compared to now, I mean, these are completely different beasts. Um yeah. So it is very, very difficult to compare. And, I mean, hey, there's more races these days. So, um, you know, it, it is it's, uh, yeah, uh, it is difficult to, to, to do a direct comparison. But um, I think, uh, you know, my personal opinion is that a lot of people that try and compare generations of, of racing and say, oh, it was better back in the 80s or the 70s or whenever, um, you need to look a little bit more than just the results. Uh, I think you need to look a little bit deeper into that. Well, I mean, you know, that being said, it's hard to, you know, because people always want to compare who's the greatest Grand Prix driver of all time, right? And, you know, and you get, oh, is it Hamilton or is it, you know, yeah. Juan Manuel Faggio? And, UG and, Day. And, and, and your world's, your world's apart there, you know what I mean? Of course. Uh, so. I mean, let's be, let's be honest, though. The best driver of any generation of all times, Tazio Nuvolari. Period. Just, yeah. That's, yeah. Well, yeah, 
Well, whatever. Uh, he was okay. He was a hack. <laughs> <laughs> he had nothing. I, he, is, he, had no, he had nothing on Jim Clark. So I mean, you know, we could argue this forever, but we are that's, like that's the, we're like that's the point. Is like F one is probably the most out of any series in the entire world. F1 is probably the most skewed when it comes to learning about who the best driver of all time is because it's something that we'll never actually truly agree on because right. it will never get answered. Well, because the, because the 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 face of the sport, the, the 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 cars and the engines and the 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 combinations of those have changed so much because you, you went through the manufacturer era and then the constructor era. Now we're back to another manufacturer era. So it's hard to say which driver was the best. I mean, right now I would say you could put a trade monkey in Lewis Hamilton's car and he would beat um, Alonzo in a McLaren. Yeah, um, I don't disagree. Yeah, exactly. So you've got the right now it's the car. There were there were years that it was the driver and there were years that it was a car. There, there were years that you had wildly different cars at the same time on the grid. Like, uh, say, in the 60s, when Colin Chapman was changing the face of Formula One by introducing lighter, faster cars, but that often broke down or, or just fell apart and crashed. So, um, I, I think if you want to. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. No, I, I think if you want to look at a comparison and play this sort of comparison game, there's only one thing that I think you can truly say is the best of any generation or any whatever it is. And that's the MP44 from the McLaren from 1988. Not only was it reliable, it was fast. It won 17 out of 18 races that season. Absolutely. Overrated. Yeah. Yep. Overrated. <laughs> well, here's the thing. McLaren was one of only two, I think one of two teams that actually built new cars for that year because the rules were changing in such a dramatic way for the next year. So, I mean, at that point, you know, they're racing against a bunch of year-old cars, right? Well, yes. I mean, but you also did have the two probably two greatest, you know, of the of the greatest drivers of that generation in Prost and Senna, you know, head to head, and I think that helped massively that these guys were, were were, you know, they had the two best drivers as well. So I think even if they had other teams out there with a more capable car, um, I still think they would have. Uh, they would have been pushing uh, pushing teams. I mean, they, you know, it's Ferrari that were were second, but I mean that was a distant second. Um, I mean, you know, as you say, you had guys like Williams there, and uh, you know they were <coughs> running around in a. Did they use a Judd engine or somebody along that? Yeah, that, they did. That, they had that a year. Judd I mean, engine. Yeah, Williams well, used a Judd that year. Yeah, so they um, used a Renault in ninety nine and eighty nine. Yeah, I mean. Guys, we we, get, we 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 can pine about the past all night long, but I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna have to, you know I'm gonna have to cut you short, and maybe we could talk in the in the post race show off the air. But we are way over time. We're at, we're at a, what we call a green white checker checker green green white checker, and then a red flag, and then another green white checker because uh, we're way over time. But uh, had a great time talking with all. But we're gonna have to sign off. Um, we're at the NASCAR Tech Center. We're at the NASCAR Tech Center. Yep. And they're gonna they're gonna take our car apart. So um, before before we before we leave the air, uh, Formula One, are we off next weekend or are we racing? Off next weekend, oh. and then to uh, Singapore. So sing- Singapore. Beautiful. So we've so so next weekend we've got uh, Richmond for NASCAR. 
Uh, IndyCar is uh, got an off weekend before yep. the season finale. Formula One's off for Singapore. So, uh, with that being said, I want to say goodnight to all you listeners. I want to say goodnight to you, Gray, Seth, Joey, Richard, Christopher. Appreciate each and every one of you coming on the show. Enjoy talking with you tonight. But uh, it's getting late, and Joey wants to go to bed. So, good night. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 